Thanks, Bree. Good evening, church. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Uni Church. It is a great joy together with you. I hope you've had a good day, and it's great that you've come out to church tonight. I want to add my welcome to Rowan's love to get to know you after the service if you're new or newish amongst us. Uh, thanks for coming along. We love having visitors check us out here at Uni Church. As Rowan said, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, and it was encouraging just now just to hear the way in which God's Word has impacted you as you've been reading it, studying it in your connect groups, as you've been working hard to, to keep growing in your love and knowledge of God. Galatians has been showing us the freedom we have in Christ. It's the reality of being set free from the law and being free to walk in the Spirit. And tonight, as we think hard about this chapter that Bree just read for us, uh, it's where the rubber hits the road, I think. Paul's getting practical. He's like a surgeon with a scalpel, and he's going to carefully kind of dissect our hearts and help us to promote good behavior amongst one another. So how about we pray and ask God to help us tonight as we unpack this word together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do give you great thanks for your word. We thank you that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray tonight that as we uh, think hard, that you would help us to understand your will for our lives, that you would grow us and change us and convict us by your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I've got a confession to make. Uh, One of the strengths that I have is identifying the gifts God's given people and then helping them to use that for His kingdom. Uh, But here's my confession. My confession is that sometimes I'm really using those gifts to help myself. See, I've got a a bad habit of utilizing people. I'm not sure if you've got the same issue or you know people who have the same problem, but I can approach relationships with the mindset of, what can you do for me? What is it that I can get from you rather than how can I serve you? And so tonight, you might be here, and I might meet you later on, and you might be a builder. And I'm like, hey, it's great to meet you. We should be friends. I've got some renovations that need happening at my house. Let's get together. Uh, Or let's say you're a musician. You're a musician, and we're in conversation. I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of weddings going on at the moment. Like, can you play at these weddings for us as a church? That'd be awesome. Um, Maybe you're a student, right? Although all the students are on holiday. But perhaps you're a PhD student, right? But at that point, you're out of my league. I've got no use for you at that point. So <laughs> I'm sure you'll make some medical, like, whatever. It'll work out well. But, but the point is, is that perhaps you know someone who's similar to me, uh, who's got the same kind of bad habit of utilizing people and getting things for their own good. Because I think, here's the truth. I think that deep down, uh, we all do this. See, the thing is, is that just like everything else in this world, even a noble desire to to establish good relationships with people is tainted with the brokenness of humanity. So often we do good, and the the good that we do is actually just a convenient cover-up for our selfishness that's lurking beneath, right? It's often not the good we seek, but the recognition we're after. It's the reputation we're trying to build. Now, as I said, uh, we've been working through the book of Galatians, and if you've been tracking with us, you will know that uh, Paul has been at great lengths to stress that we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone. We are declared right before God, forgiven and washed clean, all because of Jesus' death in our place. 
We've been set free from the do's and don'ts of the Jewish law because Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He is the perfect Jew. He died in our place, rose again, and sent His Spirit so that we might be forgiven. That we might be forgiven and live the forgiven life, which is the life of freedom. Freedom to walk His way. Not because salvation depends on it, but because we depend on Jesus, yeah? And so Paul has taught us in Galatians 5, 6, that our freedom in Christ is not a license to sin, but a privilege to serve. Our freedom in Christ is not a license to sin, but privilege to serve. And the gift of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit are given that we may do good. It's what I've called the good spiritual life. And that is where Paul takes us in this last section of his letter. If you look down, uh, keep your Bibles open, look down at Galatians 6 verse 9, he says this, he says, Let us not tire of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Now, I think the temptation for us is we hear that and we think, great, thanks, Paul, got my checklist, I'll be on my way to live the Christian life now. And we can end up right where the Galatians started, under the heavy burden of a law. But listen to the context of this whole chapter. Uh, Look at chapter 5, verse 26, uh, and it will help give us some context as we come into chapter 6. 5.26 says this, it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Do not become conceited. What does it mean to be conceited? Conceit is the attitude of someone who thinks they're entitled to praise, when in fact they're not. It literally means empty praise, or empty of glory. And so it can't be about works. For, for there's nothing that we can boast in. The commands of what it looks like to live the free life are not something that we can say we have done, but it's the outworking of God's incredible forgiveness in us, the work of His Spirit. So, what then does it look like for us to walk in the Spirit? We'll summarize this under two points for us tonight. We, walk by the, we are to walk by the Spirit for the good of one another and to the glory of God. So first, the good of one another. It's the practical aspect of doing community together, I think. Look at me with, uh, with me from chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says this, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a per- person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. The, the good of the other here is about restoring someone, someone who has done some form of wrong, but it's not like a, a deep, grievous sin. It's more the kind of unfortunate happenstance that you find yourself in. It could be the, the person who has a character flaw, uh, a, a character flaw that doesn't necessarily align with God's word. So maybe it's someone who gets angry all the time or is harboring bitterness. It could be someone who is themselves conceited. And the point here is that this isn't uh, someone who's hurt you relationally, and so therefore you're trying to restore the relationship. It's simply just a person who needs to be restored to the community, to the community of believers. And so we have a responsibility as believers, as people who are filled with the Spirit, to restore that person within us. So it's not just about pointing out or saying that that person's in the wrong 
restoration at its heart is helping them and restoring them into the Christian community. It's loving them. Yeah? Uh, One quick point of application as we go through here, uh, you want to make sure it's the wrongdoing that you're correcting, not just the difference of opinion, yeah? The way we restore is by the Word of God through the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that includes, did you see it there? Gentleness. And it's that gentleness that will set the tone of the voice you adopt. It involves a posture of humility, mindful that you too are a sinner saved by grace, restoring another sinner who is saved by grace. But there's a caution here as well, and I wonder if you saw it. Paul says, watch out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. There is a risk involved in correcting another person in Christ, and the risk is this. You run the risk of being tempted to think that you are in some way better than they are, which is just another way of saying that you don't really need Jesus' forgiveness as much as they do. It's like saying, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Do you ever find yourself saying that? Paul is urging his readers, and therefore us, to humbly walk that line of friendship, and support without lording it over that person. And so to keep us humble, Paul tells us that we're to help practically by carrying some of the burden. Check it out, verse 2. He says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Literally, Paul here is saying that it's going to cost you. It will cost you in time, it will cost you in energy, it will cost you even financially. Now, let's say uh, I'm going to move house, right? Um, And so I might find some of you to utilize, and I'll get you over. No, wait, I shouldn't do that. Um, Let's say I'm moving house, and I find myself in a situation where I'm carrying a fridge all on my own. Just imagine that for a minute. And And then Henry comes along, and he's like, hey, brother, let me give you a hand. Let me help you out, okay? He grabs the other end of the fridge. Now we've got half the load each. It's lighter. He's helping me carry the burden. But it's costing him, like it's ex- he's exerting energy, it's costing his time as he does that. The metaphor here that Paul's using is that you can never help someone without taking on some of the load yourself. When you truly help someone, it will be a burden to you, it will be a cost to you, a sacrifice. And so if you know someone who's going through depression or anxiety, stressed about exams, the reality is, is that if you're going to practically help that person, it's going to cost you. As you sit on the end of the phone, as you listen actively, as you um, support them in practical ways by helping them with food or providing them with money. But friends, what a complete privilege it is to love one another, to care for one another, all because of how Jesus cared for us. We see our Savior and we want to be like Him. When you don't feel like loving, let me remind you to look again to Jesus, who became nothing so that we can have everything. And remember, Christianity isn't a solo sport, right? Thank goodness for that. Uh, Loving one another is everyone's responsibility. So we carry this together. You know, I'm constantly encouraged to hear of how we as a church are loving and serving one another. Um, at our morning congregation, a good example of this is a, is a couple who uh, were struggling with a major uh, sickness last year. Uh, their connect group 
amongst other people, uh, rallied around them in many practical ways, providing more than 20 or 30 meals, uh, visiting them regularly, providing them with vouchers to go out on date nights and things, sending them messages of support and encouragement. Uh, what a fantastic group to be a part of, right? And I get it, like, we're not always going to feel that way, we're not always going to feel like we can help out, but friends, that is what it looks like to do life together in God's family. Carrying one another's burdens is a call for everyone, not just pastors, not just those in ministry, not just your leaders. Pastoral care is everyone's responsibility. And that's why for us at Uni Church, uh, our connect groups are really important. Uh, can I just say, if you're not in a connect group, you really should jump in one next semester. Uh, you'll have no other greater opportunity to carry one another's burdens and to support and care for one another than if you're in a connect group. Uh, if you're new, like, love for you to jump into our first connect group, which is what we call newish connect. But seriously, part of what doing life together is about is about being in community together, and connect groups are where you will feel loved and belong. Well, take another look at verse 2 again, because Paul says that in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But what is the law of Christ that we fulfill? I thought we were free from the law, yeah? Well, in the book of Galatians, Paul has been working hard at kind of breaking down this broad law of God. And he's kind of distinguished it into two parts. He says that the law of Moses was valid for the Jews, but Paul is no longer under that law. He's been freed from that law. But there exists also this law of Christ to which Paul does find himself obligated to. And that is the ethical demands of the gospel. It's the demands of the gospel that flow from the blood-brought freedom that we experience. It's the law of love. To love God and to love others. See, if you get just how much you have been loved, you will respond in love. And carrying one another's burdens is a part of what it looks like to love. And so I take it that this practical, rubber-hitting-the-road community that does good to one another avoids being conceited as we gently restore a person, as we humbly carry one another's burdens. But thirdly, it's also as we examine our own work, not comparing ourselves with others. Take a look at verse 3. If anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Oh, this here, I think, is a further discrete development of the warning about conceit. Paul's concern is that the tendency for us to take credit for our own accomplishments without recognizing our absolute dependence on God's grace. Uh, I've heard a saying recently, uh, which I thought was helpful. Uh, you may have heard it before, but it, say, it says this. It says, I may not be what you want me to be. I, I may not be what others want me to be. I may not even be what God wants me to be all the time. But I know that by God's Spirit, I'm not what I used to be. Keep remembering, friends, that God is working in us. We are all works in progress. But that doesn't mean we don't need to work at progress, yeah? Check it out, verse 5, for each person will have to carry his own load. What's on view here is that each person on the day of judgment 
will need to give an answer to the Lord for how we've conducted ourselves. No one can live the Christian life for you. No one can do the work set out in advance for you, but you alone. No one can forgive others for you. No one can read the Bible and pray for you. We are to live in community and love our community, but as we do that, we need to recognize that we're still responsible. That's partly a relief. It's a relief because it means that you're actually not responsible for someone else's salvation. So yes, we strive to serve one another. We aren't responsible for their salvation. But you are responsible for your own, to keep trusting Jesus who lives the perfect life for us. And so live out that freedom that you've been given. Carry your own load. Don't become conceited. Well, one of the... uh, loads that we all have to carry um, is me. Uh, Not just me, but actually our whole pastoral team. And that's where Paul goes next in verse 6. He says that, he says, let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Now, amongst other things, what Paul is saying here is that it's our responsibility before God to financially support those who teach us. It's actually an instruction from Paul, a command, an imperative, and that if, but let me say this, if, if, you're, if you're not a Christian here tonight, uh, welcome, uh, we're not here to take your money, you're our guest, so, but if you're, if you're someone who um, makes Uni Church your home church, if you're someone who calls EV home, uh, friend, it's both your privilege and your responsibility to share what you earn, to share what you earn with those uh, who who feeds your soul, to, to those who carry that responsibility and burden of teaching you the Word of God. And so when it comes to giving, we need not think of it as, I need to give the most I can, but I need to keep striving for a personal best, a personal best in generosity. And that needs to start with the local church. Now, in a sense, it feels really uncomfortable me telling you this, um, because it says, like, oh, you need to support me and the, the pastoral team. Um, but, friends, I say it because it's what the passage tells us, and I'd be doing us a disservice if I didn't. See, generosity, it's both a joy and a privilege. And Paul tells the Galatians that it, ne- needs, it needs to flow to the local church, and that's a given. It's a priority. There are many different and wonderful things that we can support as Christians, Uh, so many worthy causes, but what Paul is saying here is that the number one thing that is mandated in the Bible is the local church, those who are physically present with you as they instruct you in the Word. And so as you seek to serve God with the freedom the gospel has given us, uh, keep seeking to do your best in being generous. Now, uh, On that note, it is hugely encouraging, as a church, as a whole, uh, how we're doing financially. Uh, Last month, we were only behind budget by $2,700. So well done. Keep it up. We're really thankful for the way in which everyone is shouldering that burden. But here's the thing that I want to raise tonight. Uh, Only 54% of our regular attenders gave last month. I don't know who they are or how much they gave, but the stats, that our, the stats that our treasury gives us tells us that only half of the people who call EV home are actually contributing financially. 
Now, uh, in a sense, we kind of need to be doing better than that, team. Uh, And so if you aren't giving and you don't hear my words, I want you to hear Paul's words tonight. I recognize that we all have different circumstances, but the good thing is is that God doesn't call us to give what we don't have. He calls us to be generous with with what we do have. Uh, One of the other helpful things that is is good for you to know here at EV is the way in which we structure uh, our salaries as pastors. Uh, All our salaries are capped, and so what that means is that the more people who give just means more gospel ministry or gospel work that can happen. It doesn't mean that we get paid anymore. Uh, It goes to seeing people more captivated by Jesus, to see the gospel going out and to see more training and more teaching, teaching happening. And we are a church that is keen on church planting and to see more churches planted in the Auckland region and across New Zealand. And so as we look to plant another church in the next two years, we need more pastors because more people need to hear about Jesus, yeah? So as you look to the freedom that Christ brings, look to the freedom we have in giving to the local church as our first priority for the sake of the kingdom, It's not our responsibility to care for our pastors, but to the whole church, our our local church. Take a look at verse 10. He says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. And so Paul here, he's being emphatic, right? He's saying, look, as a result of what Jesus has done, of the future that he secured for you, therefore... Do good. Do good to all of humanity, but especially to those who belong to the family of faith. There exists here a priority to, and a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. As given that Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia, I take it Paul is saying you need to prioritize your household. Your Christian house is your local church. It's where you belong. It's the church you call home. And so, in a sense, the household is also those who are in Christ. Gathered around the throne in heaven now, seated at his right hand, all those who are in Christ. I hope you see there is a priority to love those God has gathered you to. In the local church, in the heavenly church. And that means that we gathered here tonight as uni church, as EV. We are to do good to one another because there's a priority about this gospel. Now, friends, uh, you don't need me to tell you that our Western culture is fiercely independent, yeah? Uh, We worship uh, our weekends, uh, our our overseas trips, our jobs, our studies. Uh, Those are the things that dominate our life. And yet the church needs the special attention of every believer. And the sad reality is, is that many people are irregular at church. Many people sit on the fringe of the Christian community, attending church as little as once a month. They're not plugged into a connect group, or if they are, they're irregular. They're not reading the word well or regularly. Uh, It's not that these things make us acceptable to God. It's just that investing in God's way and His word are how He keeps us going. It's how we keep in step with the Spirit. It's how we persevere And so can I encourage you tonight, can I challenge you to show up, (laughs) to show up so that you can serve and be served by your church family. It really is a perk, it really is a great priority of one another to serve. 
as in my role as membership pastor, I, I do have a front row seat to seeing the way in which each of you uh, help out and serve one another. I get to witness this type of Christian behavior on display as people who are medically unwell are comforted by friends, as people who are doing it tough financially are supported by paying for conference fees and for counseling costs, when people are stuck for transport and one another, uh, people give one another rides or uh, give them bus money, lend cars to one another, when someone's stuck for accommodation, uh, there's very practical ways in which this works itself out and the priority of loving the family that God has placed you in. So well done. I want to say thank you. It's a joy to be your pastor and see that stuff happening. It's a joy to be part of a community that loves as an expression of being loved by our Heavenly Father. But see, Paul doesn't just leave us with a command. He gives us the reason, the reason of the reward. Look back at verse 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Now this principle of reaping and sowing is evidenced all around us, I take it. Uh, if you park your car in a 60-minute zone and you come back 70 minutes later, what do you expect to find? It's a little white thing, often on your windscreen, under the windscreen wiper. It's a ticket. Uh, I've got a bike, I like to ride my push bike, it's sitting in my garage, has been for the last three months, because life has been so busy that I haven't been able to ride it. If I don't exercise, I'm going to be unfit, yeah? This idea of reaping and sowing, it's a principle that Paul applies to our spiritual lives as well. See, if we invest in the things of the flesh, we will face judgment. But if we invest in the things of the Spirit, we will enjoy those things in eternal life. And so, friends... Paul is emphatic about not growing tired, not getting tired of doing good to one another, verse 9. For that's what the spiritual life in this age is all about. It's the joyful, practical outworking of the gospel bearing on our lives. Joy now and joy in the future. And the reason it's a joy is not only the love we show, but the harvest we reap. Verse 9 again says this, Let us not grow tired or get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. We live in an instant gratification world. We want immediate results, but the harvest of walking in step with the Spirit and doing good will come at the proper time, that day when we stand face to face with Jesus, when all things are as they should be. And I want to encourage you that the struggle is worth it, so don't give up. Don't give up trusting Jesus. Don't give up living out the freedom we have. And don't give up living your sinful broken sorry, don't give up loving your sinful broken family, who is us. <laughs> Friends, we are the people of God who are drenched in good works, but who must never trust in any of those good works for the forgiveness of sins. We are sinners saved by grace, and so may we only boast in the cross of Christ to the glory of God. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Point two, the glory of God. He literally picks up the pen to close out his letter in verse 11. He says, look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. 
Now, Paul does this often when he's writing his letters. Uh, sometimes he'll pick things up, uh, pick up the pen at the end after kind of dictating the letter to a scribe, and, and he'll say, look, this is actually kind of important. Pay attention. Don't go to sleep on me now. <laughs> These are the heartfelt words from a pastor to his people, and Paul here wants to emphasize two things. Firstly, he wants us to recognize the importance of the cross and to only boast in the cross. Look down at verse 14. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. The centrality of the cross is always large in Paul's mind. It's his true north when he's navigating through life. And it's all he will ever boast about. The good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ has purchased our freedom, secured the reward of eternity with him. And so if you're here today and you don't yet trust Jesus, if you don't yet follow him or you're still checking out the things of Christianity, you're so very welcome. We're glad that you're here. But if there's one thing to take away from tonight's talk, it's that your freedom, your freedom from sin and death has been purchased at the cross. And for those of us who call Uni Church home, we are a community of believers which the gospel has created. See, we're a bunch of people who are convinced we're not perfect, but captivated by the one who is. And this needs to be evidenced in the love that we have for one another as a church. In contrast to the Judaizers who were in Galatia at the time, who were self-absorbed and engaged in devotion to the law, Paul prays that he might boast only in the cross. For those who boast in the cross put all their confidence in what Christ has done for them. And so, boast in And so boasting is your identity. Therefore, boast that Jesus died, that he is your king. Boast that we are wretched sinners who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. Because it's got nothing to do with our works, yeah? It's got nothing to do with how many people you've told about Jesus. It's got nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. How much serving you do at church. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has done. And so he deserves the glory. So let's give it to him. Now the cross of Christ has inaugurated the new creation. And that's the second thing that Paul wants to emphasize. See, what matters now is not circumcision or styles of worship or the food we eat. The only thing that matters is participation in this new reality. The reality of God's kingdom, the new creation. That's what counts. Read with me from verse 15. Paul says, For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Now, on first reading, you might think that Paul is talking about the inner renewal and personal forgiveness. Now, individuals renewed by God's transforming grace, the kind of thing we see in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone, is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. However, most commentators see new creation here in Galatians as referring to a new state of affairs that Christ's death and resurrection has inaugurated. And so what Paul is doing here is he's actually contrasting verse 15 with verse 14. In verse 14, he talks about the world And in verse 15, he talks about this new world, this new creation. 
He is describing what has replaced the world and its way of thinking. See, at the cross, a new age dawned. God's heavenly kingdom was established, and so circumcision and uncircumcision are worldly values that are no longer relevant in this new age. The coming of Christ has introduced a whole new state of affairs in the world, and so our identity is not based on distinctions of ethnicity or social class or gender. Our identity is not based on any of these things. That's what Galatians 3 was teaching us. 3.28 says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. Friends, what great news. Our identity is in Christ. The old state of affairs has ended. And so, in the words of my favorite Disney character, Aladdin, it's a whole new world, right? So, strictly speaking, though, there's still a lot more to come in the new creation. We only have in part what we will one day experience in full. But here's the key. Central to the, this idea of new creation is this new multi-ethnic family or community of Jews and Gentiles that God has pulled together. A new family that live differently, who behave differently, who love differently. If you want a glimpse at what the new creation will be like, look around you. Look at the people next to you. We are the beginning of the new creation, a heavenly reality that's expressed in the local church because the Christian community, if lived rightly, should be our greatest experience, this side of Christ's return of the good spiritual life. As we strive to love one another, all for the glory of God, that is what true, good spiritual life looks like. So stick around. Why wouldn't you want to be part of God's family? Why wouldn't you want to be part of that reality? See, the message of Galatians is this. It's look back to what Jesus has done. His perfect life, being the perfect Jew, fulfilling the law for us. It's looking around at the freedom you now have in Christ, freedom to walk in the Spirit, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens. It's the freedom to love like Jesus. And then look forward. Look forward to what Jesus has achieved on the cross. We belong to a new creation and our reward awaits us. And so this is what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. So may we here at Uni Church live the good spiritual life. Let us boast only in the cross of Christ and the grace of God. May the world see that we are Jesus' disciples. How? By our love for one another. Verse 18. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That, friends, is the freedom that Jesus brings. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the love that you showed us at the cross. Thank you for the freedom we have in him, freedom from sin, freedom from the world, freedom from the law. And Father, we ask that you would help us to not become conceited, but to truly love one another, humbly and in gentleness. For by your Spirit you have called us to reflect your new creation 
for your glory alone. And so we ask, Father, that you would do a work in us. May we be known as a church family by our love for one another. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, uh, I forgot to mention at the start that there was going to be questions. So hopefully on the slide there was a little number. And if case, there were some questions. There we go. Are there situations where an individual Christian should prioritize their own faith walk carrying their own burden rather than carrying other Christians' burdens? Prioritize their own faith walk. Yes, I'm not sure what uh, carrying their own burden. Um, Let me say this. Part of what it looks like to grow in your own faith is to carry one another's burdens. Uh, To be others-focused rather than self-focused is what the gospel calls us to be. Does that make sense? So as you struggle with your own faith walk, yes, you need to call on the support of your family, and yet at the same time, that doesn't mean that you sit in a room and never serve or love your brothers and sisters. Happy to chat more on that later, but hopefully that kind of gives some answer to that question. Given many of us are students, how should we think about giving to church even when we struggle to have enough just to get by? Yeah, great question. Um, Again, want to reiterate that it's not about how much you give, but it's about how generous you can be with what God has given you. Uh, If God has given you enough to survive and you're not going backwards into debt, then I take it that there's a sense in which God wants to grow in your heart a generosity, a generous heart, and so that might literally look like a dollar a week. Uh, The sacrifice that it costs you to part with the money that God's already given you, uh, even if it's just a dollar a week, is growing in you a spirit of generosity. And I want to say this as well, that um, this is a key principle to learn as students. Don't go through university thinking, oh man, I just need to save every buck I can for three years, but then God, after, or five years or ten years, however long you guys spend at university now, uh, but then once I get out, oh man, Everything's going to you, God. It's going to be gospel ministry from here on in. Like, you need to, you need to work on this um, principle of being generous now so that when you do step into the workforce, that's just a natural habit. It's just a natural part of doing life. What does it mean that the world is crucified to me through the cross? Yeah, great question. Um, I don't have a short answer for you now, so come and see me afterwards and we can chat more about it. Any more questions? No. Oh, that was good. Um, let me pray again, and then we'll, uh, the band will come up and we'll sing some more songs. Let me pray. Father, thanks so much for each one of us here tonight. Thank you for the privilege it is to sit under your word, to learn more about what it looks like to love others and bring you the glory. Uh, We pray that in each of our lives, you'd bring about situations where we can recognize the need to serve those around us. Help us to take those opportunities, not to shy away from them, but to, to live out the gospel as a community that is drawn together by the very love of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.